Welcome to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, Last weekend, in celebrating Divine Mercy Sunday, we attended closely to the figure of St. Thomas. And as we saw, though Thomas is often referred to by the negative nickname Doubting Thomas for his adamance that he would not believe that Christ had risen unless he put his fingers in the nail marks and his hand in the wounded side of Christ, his language signifies an intense love for Jesus just as much, if not more, than doubt. The reason for this being that, as we discussed, Thomas does not only want to see the risen Christ, Thomas wants to touch him, which displays a level of intimacy. And more than this, Thomas wants not only to touch the risen Jesus, but put his finger into the nail wounds and his hand into the wounded side of Jesus. And more than this, Thomas wants not only to touch the risen Jesus, but put his finger into the nail wounds and his hand into Jesus' wounded side. Thomas wanted to enter into Jesus' woundedness to be healed. We saw that placing his hand in Jesus' wounded side was especially significant, as it is from Jesus' open side on the cross that water and blood gush forth, signifying the two fundamental sacraments that constitute the church, baptism and the Eucharist. As we discussed then, we too enter into Jesus' woundedness through these sacraments and thereby participate in the salvific healing from sin and death his paschal mystery offers us. As we will see, today's readings explain just how much God desires for us to experience the salvation won for us by the Incarnate Son. Our gospel passage for today from the 24th chapter of Luke begins in this way. Now on that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. This line itself exemplifies one of the main elements to be emphasized today, which is the infinite depth and intricacy of the scriptural text. Even in this one line of scripture, which seems to be just a line simply describing the setting, is in fact supersaturated with meaning. The same day. These words are important. For they tell us that the event to be described took place on the same day the previous episode recounted did, which was the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, when a group of women, including Mary Magdalene, discovered the tomb of Jesus empty. So the very day of the resurrection, Luke tells us, that two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Who are these two? Luke gives us the name of one of them a bit further along, Cleopas. It is likely that this Cleopas is the same figure named Clopas in the Gospel of John, whose wife Mary, we are told, is standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus is crucified. The early Christian tradition identifies Cleopas as the brother of Joseph, the legal and adoptive father of Jesus, and the father of Simon, the second bishop of Jerusalem. But who is Cleopas walking with? 
The other disciple is never named and remains anonymous. Why? I would suggest that the anonymity of the disciple is a literary device, which allows us to place ourselves in the scene. We are walking with Cleopas, mourning the death of Jesus and unsure of what will happen next. This becomes even more important when we speculate as to who this unnamed disciple must be and what the two together signify. Ask yourself, from the very little we know about Cleopas, who is most likely to be walking with him in this most difficult time? The one closest to him, his wife, Mary. At this point, the imagery becomes even deeper, which we can unpack in three points. First, Mary, we are told in John's Gospel, is the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we are dealing with a couple who are very closely related to Jesus with respect to his earthly, adoptive family. Second, because John puts Mary at the foot of the cross, she too witnessed the blood and water which poured forth from Jesus' side. And finally, when we interpret the other disciple as Mary, the wife of Cleopas, what we have is a man and a wife, a male and female pair. The history of art depicting this scene is a bit misleading, as often, though not always, the two disciples who Jesus walks with are two men. But as we have seen, we are not told either way who the other disciple was. So why read the story in this way? Well, as already said, it makes sense that Cleopas would be with the person closest to him during this difficult time. But it also makes sense within the overall context of Scripture. Why? At this point, it becomes important to note that the pair are walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It is thought that Emmaus was a small town just west of Jerusalem, which is significant, about seven miles, as Luke tells us today. They are therefore going away from the tomb of Jesus, the place of his burial, away therefore from the place where he would rise again on the third day, this very day, as Jesus had previously told his disciples, and which he will re-emphasize when he appears to his disciples just prior to his ascension. In short, Cleopas and his wife Mary are walking the wrong way. They are walking away from the place they are told they would meet the risen Jesus, and thus away from the place of communion with God. Evidently, Cleopas and his wife had decided that this was the best course of action for them. Why did they think this was the best course of action? We are not told. But we can speculate, based on what they say to Jesus in response to his question about what things they are talking about along the way. They reply, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. The amount of information these two already had should make us even more puzzled that they were leaving Jerusalem. They have heard from multiple witnesses that the tomb of Jesus is empty some of whom had seen angels telling them Jesus was alive, and they still walk away. Why? Evidently, they did not believe what their fellow disciples had told them. 
But more importantly, they did not keep in mind what Jesus himself had told them about rising again on the third day. They did not treasure and hold the word of God close to their hearts so that it would shape how they think and act, as Luke tells us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, did time and time again in his gospel. Instead, they soon forget the word of God and make decisions apart from it. At this point, what has been said so far should remind us of another couple from Scripture. Another couple who quickly disregarded the Word of God spoken to them. Our first parents, Adam and Eve. They too did not hold fast to the Word of God, and it cost us dearly. Because they did not treasure the Word of God and live by it, they were convinced by the enemy that God could not be trusted, and one act of egregious disobedience led to their being cast out of the Garden of Eden out of paradise. At this point, two details of Adam and Eve's being exiled from Eden are important. First, the reason for their expulsion. The third chapter of Genesis tells us, Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden. And not only does God send them away, but we are told further that to ensure that they cannot get back into the garden, God places the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. In both cases, God is principally prohibiting Adam and Eve access to the tree of life because the tree of life was their source of life, their source of immortality. Because of this, in his work, The Literal Meaning of Genesis, St. Augustine teaches that the tree of life functioned as a sacrament in Eden for Adam and Eve, a sacrament of communion with the wisdom of God, that is, the Son, the one through, with, and in all of creation was created and is upheld in existence. In other words, Augustine teaches the tree of life was the Eucharist for Adam and Eve, and once they are expelled from Eden, they no longer have access to it. This leads us to the second point to be considered here. Where does God send Adam and Eve? Famously, God sends the couple east of the Garden of Eden. This detail will become important momentarily, but for now, let's get back to the road to Emmaus. As we rejoin Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus, it is important that we keep in mind the two layers of imagery we have extracted from this pair. First, we have interpreted the other disciple as Mary, the wife of Cleopas. And now, in light of the episode of Adam and Eve's expulsion from Genesis, Cleopas and Mary become symbolic of our first parents. Second, we have said that the reason for keeping Mary anonymous was for Luke to draw us into the narrative. When we put the two images together, we have a portrait of the fallen human family, of whom we are all a member. We have all gone astray like sheep, and so far have we strayed that we no longer remember to whom we belong and consequently who we have been created to be. And even when we are given some insight into the answers to these questions, as Cleopas and Mary certainly had over the course of the earthly ministry of Jesus, we lack the ability to return home to our Father's embrace. But it's just then, when we are lost and headed the wrong direction that Jesus draws alongside us. Fellow sinners, this is a beautiful piece of spiritual physics. Jesus coming alongside and heading the wrong way with the two disciples is the modus operandi of the Son of God, 
He, as Francis Thompson so wonderfully writes, is the hound of heaven, who will stop at nothing to track down the ones he loves. In his poem, Thompson puts these words on Jesus's, the hound of heaven's lips. All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but that thou might seek it in my arms. All of which thy child's mistake, fancies as lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harm, but that thou might seek it in my arms. What did God take from Adam and Eve? Access to the tree of life. Why? Because Adam and Eve had sought to claim life as their own, to define it and determine it for themselves. This can only result in one thing for a creature created in the image of God, dependent upon God not only for its coming to be, but dependent upon Him who is life for their very existence every solitary second thereafter. The result is death. Fellow sinners, Adam and Eve's sin is the sin of every time and place. This is the only epidemic that finally matters, and we see its disease growing with increased intensity in our own time and place. Look around you, and you will see a world filled with people who have determined that they are gods. People who are not only oblivious to the gifted nature of life itself, but who boastfully presume to dictate the meaning of that life who they are, and their purpose for themselves. Day by day, there disappears from the face of the earth people convicted that they have been each created on purpose with a special purpose. And what has been the result? Look around. Do we see a thriving, peaceful, and joyful planet? The question answers itself. Wars among nations, violence in the streets, and record levels of depression. We ignore the one sign that was meant to remind us that we are not gods. As surely as we stand, we will die, and gods do not die. This is what Thompson meant when he places on Jesus' lips that what he took, he took only so that they might seek it in his arms. The penalty for the sin of claiming life to be one's own was death, a death that could only be overcome by seeking it in the arms of the one who died a death that could not die, the incarnate Son of God. Jesus Christ. And now, today, the hound of heaven draws alongside each one of us to tell us the tale of his thousand-year-long pursuit of the ones he loves, the human family. This is precisely what we see Jesus doing in his walk with the two disciples on the road today. Luke tells us that after the two had told Jesus what they were talking about, Jesus responds, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Words which Thompson's beautiful poem echo, all of which thy child's mistake fancies as lost. It is their immaturity as Christians that prevents the two disciples from understanding the reason for what took place on Good Friday. But now, Jesus explains it to them. Luke goes on, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. The disciples later recount that their hearts were burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. What is the source of this burning heat within them but love? The love stoked into flame by love itself, telling his beloved all he has done out of love for them. 
that love is now stirred within the two disciples is evidenced by the fact that they show love to this stranger in an act of mercy, inviting him to stay with them. And then the moment comes, the moment that the scriptural lesson had been leading up to all along. While Jesus sat at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. At that moment, we are told, the eyes of the two disciples were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Notice that the way Luke describes what happens here echo what is said to have happened to Adam and Eve after eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked. At that moment, Adam and Eve realized that they had made a horrible mistake, and so they hid from God. Similarly, in having their eyes opened, Cleopas and Mary realized that they too have made a mistake. However, their mistake was in not seeing that the cross of Christ was the new tree of life, and that the death of Christ had destroyed their sin and death. And so, far from hiding from God, they run back to where it all happened, knowing in the breaking of the bread that new life was being offered to them. In their encounter with Christ, the two disciples are converted. In their experience of the risen Christ, the two recognize that he is saying to them, again in Thompson's words, Rise, clasp my hand, and come. And where does Jesus point them? To himself, to his paschal mystery to the place where those who follow him experience it all, the Eucharist. Thus, having traveled west, Cleopas and Mary literally convert their way and now travel back east to Jerusalem. Notice, this is the same direction God once sent Adam and Eve. Since the time our first parents were expelled from Eden, the human family began its journey of conversion back to God, east to Jerusalem the city where reconciliation with God was to take place through the incarnate Son, the city of peace. My friends, traditionally every church was set up facing east for the very same reason. In our worship, we as Christians are to face the rising of the Son of God incarnate. And each time we make our way liturgical east to the Mass, the Son draws alongside us to convert us back towards Himself and the life He calls us to. He does this by breaking open the scriptures and showing us all he has done out of love for us. And once love has explained himself to us, he draws even nearer, breaks the bread, and says, Take, this is my body, given for you. In these words, we too hear Christ say to us, Rise, clasp my hand, and come. And having received the bread of life, the food of immortality, we are reinvigorated by this viaticum to continue our journey east toward the heavenly Jerusalem where the risen sun never sets but bathes all eternally in the glory of his light. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.